Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan. I'm my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you? As usual, Gary, I am absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, life is good. I have nothing to really complain about, really, do you? No, all is well. Fantastic. So with that out of the way, <laughs> uh, I suppose we shall continue this podcast series. Um, last week, we left it on a bit of a cliffhanger, Gary. You know, we didn't finish finish the the story related to pregnancy right so we have a little bit more to discuss especially around training and pregnancy scary where do we start with this so training during pregnancy this is an area where there's probably you've probably been exposed to at least some degree of misinformation um you might be very cautious you know if you've ever been pregnant or you plan on getting pregnant you might think well, if I have, you know, a baby growing inside me, surely I wouldn't want to be exposing myself to uh, situations in which I exert myself, etc. And depending on, on the culture, you will see some variance in that in terms of women being very heavily protected and everything done for them versus, for example, in the West now, many people, uh, many women that are pregnant will, you know, work right up to the end pretty much, you know, and sometimes, you know, they might work in a hospital where they're kind of rushing around, they're, you know, carrying things, they're still doing a lot of, of physical work to some extent. So um, it makes sense that we would be somewhat cautious during pregnancy, but exercise is still very much a core part of maintaining your health and the health of your baby during pregnancy, um, before pregnancy, and of course, after pregnancy. So first and foremost, I suppose it's worth understanding that let's assume you've just found out that you're pregnant. And you're asking yourself, what do I need to change? The recommendations for exercise um, are, are pretty much similar, you know, very similar, pretty much the same to, to what they would be uh, if you were not pregnant. So the general advice that you would be given is, is to aim for at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity cardiovascular activity. That number will ring a bell if you've listened to our previous podcast, because it's the same recommendation that's given to everyone else. And then two to three days of strength exercises um, or strength training for major muscle groups. And again, that's the guideline that would be given to uh, most other populations as well. So we can see there from the get-go that the basic cardiovascular and resistance training guidelines remain the same at the time that you become pregnant. There, that doesn't mean that there aren't, uh, you know, different changes that we might make because there are. It's not like we're just going to go, yeah, do your 150 minutes. Yeah, that's it. End the podcast. (laughs) So there are, there are nuances for sure. But, you know, if you're at that point where you're like, right, I'm pregnant, what do I do? You don't have to go like giving up your workout routine, giving up all your health behaviors that you've built up. Or if you were planning on starting exercising, now you're not going to. That's not the case at all. So that's the first thing is to kind of get that out of the way that there's not a massive change that needs to be made, but there are gradual little tweaks that you will need to make and things that you will need to look out for throughout your pregnancy, particularly as you move through the trimesters, because as we move through each trimester, there will be different barriers uh, to exercise participation. So I suppose just one of the things to to consider, and we started in a very similar place in relation to nutrition, is some of the kind of basic, the very basic anatomical changes that take place during pregnancy. So if you think about the fact that your 
your belly um, is going to have increased in size. Your abdomen is going to have increased in size. Let's say at the, in the third trimester, that's where you're going to notice the biggest difference. So your overall body, body weight is going to be increased. You're going to have additional mass at the front of your body in the form of uh, the baby, the uterus, the amniotic fluid, additional body fat, and also um, increase in breast size. So all of those things are now at the anterior side of the body. And that might make some exercises, you know, more difficult. It might make, obviously, you're not going to be doing prone exercises, for example, where you're, you know, belly down. So there's those, there's those things that you start to think about, right? What are the changes in my body? And how might that impact my ability to exercise? So just remember that basic anatomical change. Also remember what we touched on in the last podcast, where as the uterus and the baby begin to take up more space um, within that abdomen, it means that it can potentially compress structures within the abdominal cavity. So an example of that would be, you know, blood vessels. There are other blood vessels in the abdominal cavity. Might they get compressed at certain times? And that's what we'll get to when we get to specific examples. But for now, just remember those basic things about the anatomical changes, and then we can get into some of the specifics. So Anything to add there, Patty, before we move on? No, not really. Again, it just reiterating. Yeah. You are pregnant, right? <laughs> this doesn't mean that you are like a, an invalid now, you know? No, congratulations, by the way. <laughs> you're right, pregnant. You know? uh, like a lot of the stuff that you hear repeated in, you know, pregnancy circles. Is that a thing? Uh, pregnancy circles is basically just Victorian era ideals, you know? And these are the same people, these Victorian era people that thought, thought that, you know, oh Jesus, if a woman ran a marathon, like her uterus would basically fall out, you know, like these are not, a lot of these things that are repeated are not scientific. A lot of the things that you hear just, you know, old wives tales effectively, they're not supported by any evidence, you know? And yeah, okay. You want to have an abundance of caution, you know, like it, it probably is evolutionarily successful to have an abundance of caution, but it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean that the, the things that people are saying are right, you know, um, and potentially they're also harmful. You know, like you hear all the time, like, oh, you're going to have to give up exercise. Oh, you're eating for two. Like, that's just a recipe for becoming overweight, getting dysregulated blood glucose, having a whole host of other potential issues down the line for both you and the child, you know. So it's not like there is a, uh, oh, I'm going to make no decision here. I'm just going to follow the prevailing wisdom in, you know, again, like old wives tales, whatever the word you want to call it or whatever the term you want to call it. It's not like that's a zero harm practice as well, you know? So we want to actually use some sort of evidence at least to inform our decisions, right? But let's just bring it back just a second, right? Mm -hmm. Because I know a lot of people listening to this might not be pregnant themselves right now, right? But they might be considering it in the future. Is there anything that we should be doing you know, we have our general training program. Let's say, you know, the vast majority of people that listen to the podcast, they're probably training three to five days per week. You know, they might be doing a mix of cardiovascular training and resistance training. So they're doing a you know, broad program. We've talked about program design before, right? So they're doing that. Is there anything specific that we would go, right? You are someone that is considering getting pregnant in the next year, two years, whatever it is. Is there anything that we would change? Is there anything that we would be like, this is how we're going to prep the body. This is how we're going to make sure that you're in a good position to have a you know happy, healthy pregnancy. Uh, firstly, 
just for people watching the video, I'm going to take a second and try to recline my chair because as you'll know, I had surgery recently and the scary area is, is quite sore currently. So I'm trying to move around. But anyway, I will answer your question. Um, yes. So that's, a, that's actually a really important point, right? So before pregnancy, this is, this is really important. So we mentioned in relation to nutrition that we want to prepare for a healthy pregnancy. And I suppose not even just a healthy pregnancy, but also the um, conception in the first place, you know, and, and the process of getting pregnant, because that's an area that in athletes we see as, as being, a, a, you know, an area of vulnerability, where if you're exposed to chronic low energy availability, for example, if you're being over, over dieting for a long time, you're on that spectrum uh, of relative energy deficiency, maybe you've had the absence of periods, you've had a hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, all the things that we've discussed in previous podcasts in relation to dieting, over-exercise, excessive stress, etc. All these things can, you know, predispose you to lower rates of, of fertility. So first and foremost, if we're thinking, I want to get pregnant, your first question is probably not, you know, how do I have a healthy pregnancy, but how do I get there in the first place? So that's a fair question. And what, what, it, what you would do is first and foremost, look at your program and, and your exercise habits and ask yourself, am I, am I genuinely exercising or training in a way that is conducive to my health? And I think for most people, you can be quite honest with yourself because, you know, before, before I had my injury there a few weeks ago, like I, I was trying to train, you know, a, more, more like an athlete than someone who was trying to pursue health. So what I was, you know, attempting to do and what I intended to do for the remainder of the summer was to kind of train somewhere between, I don't know, maybe 12 and 18 hours a week where I might do six hours of kind of resistance training and gym work a week. And then I might do 10 hours of jujitsu and then maybe two additional hours of, of exercise outside the gym, something along those lines. But basically what I'm describing there is excessive exercise in the sense that it wouldn't be required for health. Like nobody signs up with triage and says, I want to get a bit healthier. So, you know, Patty puts them on double training days, you know, training twice a week, multiple sports, different activities <laughs> like that. That's not what you do when you're just trying to get a bit healthier. Okay. So that's the first question is, I'm if you're training... That. We can get clouded, not on us personally, because we're, you know, above everything. We're, you know, infallible, all that. But, you know, in the health and fitness world, you can get a little bit clouded and go, yeah. well, actually, what I'm doing is the right thing. That's exactly what everyone should be doing. You know, like I could do that. Like I do, I train twice a day, four days per week. You know, I basically train about 12 hours per week, you know, in and around, not including any like extra steps and all those other little things that, you know, you could kind of categorize as exercise. And again, you can fall into a mentality of going, oh, that's exactly what needs to be done for everyone. You can also fall into that mentality of, oh, well, this is exactly the protocol for health. This is exactly the protocol for, you know, the, the best health in the individual. And the reason I say you can fall into that, because I know a lot of personal trainers listen to this, you know, female personal trainers, you might be going, oh, well, I, I personally need to train six times per week. You know, that's what I need to do. You know, I need to do these two hour training sessions and that might not be conducive to your, you know, fertility goals. It might not be conducive to your health in, in general, you know, and we, again, we have a bias for exercise. You know, I'm going to basically tell everyone to exercise that can exercise, you know, but it is something to, to keep in mind. 
hundred percent. And you know, you, you have to be aware of that when you're, when you're following people online as well, because uh, very often the people who put out exercise recommendations as personal trainers, they became personal trainers because they love training themselves and they might have a primary sport, including bodybuilding and physique sports. Remember they are sports. The intent there is not for health. Um, and that's the, the caveat with all sports is that as soon as you begin to participate in a sport and consider yourself an athlete, you are no longer training for health. Many of the practices that you engage in may be conducive of good health, but they also may be conducive of cat catastrophic injury or overtraining or undernutrition, et cetera. So in this case, that's the first thing is to ask yourself, are you being honest with yourself? Is your training and your nutrition set up for health in this case? So for example, if you've been over dieting chronically, what you might want to do is you know bring your calories up to maintenance, maybe a bit of a surplus, try to regain some body fat if you're excessively lean, and then get yourself in a good position where one, your fertility um, is going to be increased. And then two, you're going to be in a better position to carry out a healthy pregnancy. Um, obviously, on the other side of the spectrum would be, you know, if you're in a, a poor state of health currently, so maybe you've, you know, been to your doctor and they said, look, you're blood sugar is a bit high, your blood pressure is a bit high, a couple of, of metabolic abnormalities, maybe your your weight is a little bit above where you'd like it to be or where your doctor would like it to be. And in that case, obviously, the, the goal is a little different where you're, you might want to start exercising more to meet those exercise guidelines and to improve your overall diet quality so that as you transition into pregnancy, then you're not in a position um, where you're already dealing with some metabolic abnormalities that might become vulnerabilities during your pregnancy. Because, you know, we, we discussed in the last podcast as well, things like uh, preeclampsia, where we get, you know, increases in blood pressure during pregnancy or, or pregnancy-induced hypertension. Uh, we also discussed uh, gestational diabetes, where you get diabetes during this gestational or pregnant period. And these things are risks for um ill health in your baby and pregnancy related complications. So naturally coming into pregnancy, regardless of which side of the spectrum you're on, your overnutrition with metabolic abnormalities associated with obesity or undernutrition where you've got low energy availability related to chronic dieting, overexercise, et cetera. We want to move more towards a middle ground there where we're in a healthier state and that will increase your probability of conception and it will increase your probability um, of uh, maintaining a healthy pregnancy. So exercise, follow the basic exercise guidelines coming into pregnancy and, and you'll be pretty good. And as I said, take your training away from the extremes. If you're not training at all, start doing some training. If you're training too much, pull it back a little bit. So that would be the pre-pregnancy period. Yeah. And another thing to just kind of add to that is like, we often, especially in modern society, we often don't think of like under muscle, like having a lack of muscle yeah. as some sort of, you know, we'll call it a disease state. Like it's not necessarily a disease state, but a state of ill health. Right. Um, but that is something that a lot of people find themselves in. And that's not going to necessarily impact on your ability to get pregnant. You know, it's not something that in my understanding of the research anyway, it's not like, oh, you actually just don't have sufficient muscle. So your fertility is reduced. You know, that's not usually a uh, the first uh, port of call you know that's not the first the thought process however you can imagine again like pregnancy is a physically demanding endeavor right it is literally a physically demanding endeavor you have to carry around let's just say it's in total let's just 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 pick a number right 30 pounds right you have to pick around, you have to carry around 15 or so kilos right now that's obviously towards the end of the pregnancy imagine right now you do not have the strength to even like hold 
15 kilos strapped to your waist. Like you are obviously not going to have a great time towards the end of your pregnancy. You are going to feel that a lot more. You're going to feel that with every step. You're going to feel that, oh, my, my upper back's so sore. Oh, my back, my low back is so sore. Oh, my knees are, yeah. Like you're going to feel that more because you're not prepared. You don't have the physical strength to do that. Now, of course, pregnancy occurs over whatever, nine months or so. So there is a little bit of an adaptation period. It's not like, you know, you just get, get hit with it. However, it's also a physically and physiologically demanding time period as well. So your ability to adapt to stressors is probably reduced, right? So for being practical, right? And you want to have the healthiest, the, the easiest pregnancy, right? You're probably going to do some prep work in terms of just getting your body stronger. You're probably going to do some prep work in terms of just building a little bit more muscle. So you have a little bit of reserve, you know, because we could potentially be digging into some muscle mass reserves during pregnancy. That's a potential concern, right? Um, but just from a practical standpoint, if you want to be able to move around during your pregnancy, especially the later stages, you want to be strong. You also want to be fit, right? So from a practical standpoint, we want to get our body to a place that we're strong, healthy, fit, right? That's going to help with conception in terms of like if we have any like metabolic abnormalities we're you know getting those back towards the center but then also in terms of okay am i actually physically able for the demands of this nine month you know endeavor right because it is again physically demanding we want to have high energy levels we want to have an easy pregnancy you don't want to be the person's like oh like my back is absolutely destroyed like i, I i'm terrible now that's not to say that you know getting stronger is just going to completely ameliorate that and just get rid of that you know that's not going to be the case for some people but i would rather have prep work done than no prep work done you know do you agree with that gary yeah no i definitely agree with that and you know i suppose another thing to consider is that like prevention is better than cure there so if you're in a position where like you god forbid you have some sort of pregnancy related complication or down the line, let's say after your pregnancy, maybe you've got really bad back pain or you have some sort of, you know, symptoms that are lingering after the pregnancy period that inhibit your ability to maintain activity or maintain uh, an exercise routine. Then if you've got more muscle from the get go, then you've got less to lose or you've got more to lose, I should say. Um, and that's going to leave you in a better position functionally than for your recovery. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's an important point. And I suppose the other important point there as well is that like, it's not easy to get out and get to the gym when you've got a newborn. <laughs> so um, if you've got this, uh, if you, if you want to build some muscle and you want to, you know, improve your, your strength and everything now might be a better time to do it than in that postpartum period. So um, yeah, that's another consideration we should keep in mind. So yeah, absolutely. Pre-pregnancy in summary, you want to follow the, your basic exercise guidelines as step one. You want to identify if you're more on the overtraining or undertraining spectrum. And then uh, three, if you're, you know, if you're currently in a position where you don't have much muscle mass, you don't have much strength, it might be a good idea to start developing that so that you have more to lose in the case that you have to, and also that you just have more of a functional reserve generally. So I think that's a good summary. 100%. And just to finally say, because I know people ask this as well, 
do we do anything in specifics you know i don't know like obviously like we're talking about a lot of postural muscles there like a lot mm-hmm. of like okay i want to get the you know my back my low back my like spinal erectors i want to get them strong because they're going to be put under demand you know and i know when we say like postural work a lot of people think like oh i'm going to be working on this like very small range of movement and this like well i have to sit up straighter like when we're talking about that sort of stuff we're just talking about you know, get the the general structures of your body stronger make sure your hips are strong make sure your shoulders are strong your upper back your low back etc right um so we're probably going to prioritize stuff like that like we're probably going to do some stuff like you know deadlifting romanian deadlifts stuff that you know we really do challenge the core we do challenge all these postural muscles we just get generally stronger right but what about pelvic floor strengthening is there anything that we should potentially be doing there in the the pre-pregnancy period because i know a lot of people focus on it after pregnancy yeah naturally enough um but would it be a better idea doing it before pregnancy yeah so i suppose first and foremost like resistance training like when carried out well and, and when you're focusing on um bracing and appropriately in the absence of prior dysfunction can lead to to strengthening of the pelvic floor as well so it's technically part of your your core i guess you could say i would consider it to be because when i think of your when I think of like your core muscles, I think of everything that keeps the abdominal and pelvic cavity together, you know, so you're keeping your trunk stiff, you're keeping the abdomen and, and pelvic cavity together. So that includes your abdominal muscles, your oblique muscles, your transverse abdominis, and then the bottom part, which is the, the vulnerability would be the pelvic floor. So um, your pelvic floor does have um, ability to resist that intra-abdominal pressure. So if we're increasing intra-abdominal pressure, like we would be, uh, during, for example, a deadlift or something, then that can lead to strengthening. Now, you do see videos uh, of, for example, uh, women deadlifting and they'll leak urine on the platform and things like that. Every now and then videos like that go viral. Um, that can happen. Uh, generally, if that's happening to a significant extent, like you would, you would consider that to be some degree of pelvic floor uh, dysfunction or stress incontinence in that case. Um and that, that could be a sign of pelvic floor weakness or overexertion there with the Valsalva. So as, as, as you kind of in the, in the pre-pregnancy period, might there be a benefit to specific strengthening um, potentially in the app? It depends on, I suppose, a good point there actually is if it's your first pregnancy, you may not have prior pelvic floor dysfunction to correct. And up to now you might have never had issues. If you have had issues, it's probably more of a priority um for example stress incontinence let's say you're in a position where every time you laugh or cough you find yourself leaking that will be more of a priority i think um if you've had previous pregnancies and you know you've you've got pelvic floor dysfunction or weakness as a result of that um, especially if you've had like prior um perineal tears so like for example when you when you deliver vaginally um, you can have different degrees of, of perineal tears. Obviously, this depends on your, your anatomy. It depends on the size of the baby and other factors. But sometimes you can get tears that are very significant that tear through the wall of, of the vagina, that te- tear through the rectum. It can be quite severe in some cases. And depending on what took place in a previous pregnancy, that might necessitate maybe some more pelvic floor work as more of a priority. Um, or it might just be the case that you're actually going to be delivered by C-section. So anyway, that's that's more of an obstetric concern. But I suppose my answer is yes, there might be some benefit to pelvic floor work. Personally, not my area of expertise, you know, prescribing pelvic floor 
um, exercises. There's a lot of good pelvic floor physiotherapy content out there. Um, but I think dur during pregnancy, uh, it can definitely be of use. And in the postpartum period in particular, it can be of use. 100%. So no recommendations other than you should at least have somewhat of a pelvic floor strengthening component to your protocol, to your program, you know, whether that's just, okay, I'm going to make sure that I'm actually effectively bracing during these compound lifts, or it's more specific. There's at least some sort of component there. It's being looked after, right? Um, so you just found out, Gary, you're pregnant. What do we do now? Do we change everything? We've just got into exercise or maybe we've previously been exercising. You know, we're at that kind of, okay, we're doing three to five days of resistance and cardiovascular training per week. Yeah, we're, we're doing good. Do I need to change everything now? Do I need to just completely change my overall paradigm? And what, what, what do I do? I'm pregnant. I'm, I'm confused. What, what's the story? Yeah, so I'm going to go through some of the I'm going to go through firstly, like exercises to avoid some of the problems that might pop up and then we'll go through it by trimester. I'll go through the general recommendations first. Um, and then there are some that maybe I'm a little bit like, mm, I'm not sure how much of a concern this is. And I'll let you know as we go. But these are like the general recommendations that you'll be shared most of the time. Some of them have relatively strong evidence base. Some of them are maybe overcautious, um, but I'll go through that anyway. So firstly, the exercises that, that are to avoid some for good reason and some not so sure. Firstly, lying flat on your back uh, is, is very often one of the exercises that you would be encouraged to avoid during pregnancy. And this is particularly in the uh, latter uh, stages of pregnancy, uh, because if you think again, back to that anatomical concern, right? In the in the posterior aspect of your um, abdominal cavity in the back, you've got two primary um, vessels. So you've got your aorta, which is taking blood from the heart down to the lower body. And then you've got your inferior vena cava. And your inferior vena cava is a large vein that runs up from the lower body. So it's draining um, blood from the lower body uh, and taking it up to the underside of the heart. Now that inferior vena cava is susceptible to compression. Um, so if you've got this abdominal mass, in this case, the uterus, the baby, et cetera, that can, in supine, as you lie back, that can press on the inferior vena cava, and that can make it difficult for blood flow to return to the heart and thus, obviously, to return to uh, your brain, your lungs, et cetera. So that's uh, something to be aware of in the later stages of pregnancy in particular, because you might find yourself, you know, feeling very lightheaded. It might, it's obviously going to be very difficult to perform exercise if you're not getting any blood flow return. Uh, so that will be something important in, in the later stages of pregnancy. Early on, probably not too much of an issue um, for in the first trimester, very unlikely to be an issue. Second trimester, maybe depend on the, the size of the baby, but third trimester is when it's going to be become uh, when it's going to become more of an issue. All right. Then the next one is, is probably very obvious and that's hip thrusts. Okay. So you don't want to put a barbell across your baby's head. So that's something that's probably to be uh, avoided. Um, now the, the, the primary reason there is the compression of the barbell. So if it's the case that you can, if you have like a, for example, some of those hip thrust machines, they use like a strap you could put the strap across your upper thighs and potentially make it work that way. But for the most part, yeah, hip thrusts are out for pretty obvious reasons. Um, next up then would be contact sports or high-risk sports. Again, 
fairly self-explanatory if you've got you know a baby hanging out the front of you and you're going to muay thai like not very wise okay so contact sports or high risk sports now importantly here i suppose some women do do things like you know um mma or boxing and other combat sports where they don't want to take their entire pregnancy out of training which is totally fair and like my encourage what i would encourage people to do during that period of time would be to you know you can work on uh speed bag heavy bag you can still still do all that stuff like you can train in isolation you can do pad work um and you can also work on other components of fitness so you might you know work on your strength work and your conditioning etc and then get back to you know more more formal sparring after so it doesn't mean you have to give it up completely uh it just means you need to modify your training uh, and then the next one is probably a little bit rarer for most of our audience but that's high altitude sports okay so you know you're not going to go climbing six thousand meter peaks um and and remaining at that altitude for multiple days uh, as most people will probably be aware when you get to high altitude you there's a lower partial pressure of oxygen so basically per breath that you take um there's going to be less uh, less oxygen that you're getting per breath so that can obviously lead to uh, some complications. Potentially, you don't want your baby to be in a relative hypoxic environment. So that's uh, something that you might want to be aware of. There are other changes associated with altitude as well uh, that might be of relevance. But uh, overall, high altitude sports, I'd probably give it a rest. Um, again, I'm not sure. Even living at high altitude, it's if there's a load of effect, like what we would probably call negative effects. Like they have like lower birth weight, you know, like if you go to yeah. say somewhere like Denver in Colorado in, a, in America, right? Mm-hmm. Like they have low birth weight and it's because of this hypoxic condition. Like you're at this high altitude and people will say, Oh, well look at like, you know, I don't know the Nepalese or something like they, they're able to do this, but you have to remember that they've effectively been genetically selected over thousands of years to be able to do that. You know, and there's other areas like in uh, the East of Africa, Kenya, different places like that, where, Again, there's a high altitude, but these people have been genetically selected, like the Andes as well. Like there's the population is there genetically selected to be able to survive and thrive in these higher altitude environments, you know. Um, but if you're just a, you know, a, a European, and you're living in like Denver, Colorado, you know, you're probably going to have some some complications. It might not be like you know, terrible complications, but there's going to be effects as a result of living in that high altitude, right? Again, it's a, somewhat of a less concern, less of a concern if it's just like, oh yeah, I was in higher altitude for, you know, a couple of days. However, it is one of those things where would you want, do you want to risk that just for, for like what benefit? You know, there's no real benefit. Also all those high altitude sports generally are potentially contact and high risk sports. <laughs> uh, so it's one of those ones where I'm like, there's no distinct advantage to this. There's only potentially disadvantages. So, you know, I'd probably stay below whatever, 5,000 meters, we'll say, as the, the absolute max here. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, to be fair, I think most of most of the sports are, are going to be pretty obvious. You know, like, I mean, if you're, like, obviously you're not going to be hiking 6,000 meter peaks in your third trimester. Like, I mean anything can happen you can fall like i've had enough mountain accidents with groups i've been with on just like thousand meter peaks whatever but anything else so um yeah basically that should be obvious enough now the next one is a little bit more 
speculative, but I, I, it makes sense. So that's to avoid the Valsalva maneuver. Now, the Valsalva maneuver is basically when you exhale against a closed glottis. And what that means is that you close your throat and you go, huh! you know, you try to basically exhale and that increases your intra-abdominal pressure. That's the end effect. Now, the theory there would be that if you increase your intra-abdominal pressure, you can potentially uh, reduce uh, blood flow to the baby. Now, that makes uh, sense in theory, but the problem is that anytime you do resistance training, the Valsalva maneuver seems to be mostly, mostly unconscious, like mostly involuntary, I should say, in that many people will exhibit a Valsalva without, uh, you know, doing it deliberately. That's why when people that don't train or anything, they go to lift something up, they go, <laughs> you hear them make that noise. That's a Valsalva, effectively. It might be the best form but it is some for form of, of Valsalva. So it's very difficult to eradicate this entirely. Um, there has been some research recently assessing blood flow in the umbilical vessels. You can use a Doppler ultrasound to assess the blood flow in the umbilical vessels during a Valsalva. And it doesn't seem like there's any increase um, in or any reduction in blood flow or risk of hypoxia to the baby. But this remains a recommendation, I think, by most uh, professionals in the field. So for now, I'm going to stick by it, but at the same time saying that there might be a bit more nuance there in terms of how do you stop people doing a Valsalva and when is that actually a problem uh, for the baby? Because I imagine this emerges like probably from, for example, like during, during labor, like that's kind of an example of you having to do an extreme Valsalva and you're doing it over and over and over again for prolonged periods of time. And that can lead to fetal distress. Whereas with resistance training, you know, you might have a 30 second period where you're doing a resistance training set. You're holding the, the Valsalva for maybe, I don't know, 50 to 70% of that time. So overall, the, the period that you're being exposed to that, it's not actually that significant. So I maintain the recommendation for now, but I, I think that there, there's a bit more nuance to that. So what yeah, can I, you do? I, would, I would kind of go, yeah, it's basically just the intensity, you know? Yeah. Realistically, you're probably going to do some form of Valsalva maneuver, like picking up a fucking pillow off the ground. Yeah. You know? Like you can't really avoid it. Um, however, you can also avoid doing it excessively. Like you see some people, they're like, well, power lifters for example they'll be like right fucking taking in a huge breath of air yeah, and, yeah. Up, 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 and like you're like you're basically your abdomen just expanded fucking 200 <laughs> percent here you know you see like some male power lifters with this like power gut and you're like that looks like muscle that's just just muscle there there's no fat <laughs> you know and um, so probably going to that degree of intensity you know you probably want to avoid that at least that would be my thought process yeah and um, but just the the normal Valsalva maneuver, like you're you're probably going to do a Valsalva maneuver when you're pooping, you know. It's like exactly, yeah. You're not going to be able to avoid it, you know. So just don't go hard with it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that that's that's a good point. Like you're the the reduction of the intensity of the Valsalva will mostly be taken care of by recommendations to reduce. Um, weight training intensity in the first place so for most people if you're you know reducing um you're you're not doing one at maxes anymore let's say then you're not going to need the same level of intensity of valsalva and additionally the next recommendation is to avoid weight belts for obvious reasons like that's just direct compression um 
So, you know, you're not going to be having that, that same exposure anymore. So yeah, overall, I think uh, avoiding a Valsalva is uh, reasonable in some sense, especially because we're going to be reducing our exercise intensity and you probably won't need it as much. Um, something else I was going to say there. Uh, oh yes. I suppose that, like just to note as well, like I mentioned, I mentioned that, that study that was done with Doppler ultra, ultrasound. And, and I think that was recreational, recreationally active uh, women as well. So, I mean, it's not, this wasn't on powerlifters. So if you're a female powerlifter who's trained to be able to do an extreme Valsalva and hold that for long periods of time, like I would encourage you to take this maybe a bit more seriously in terms of avoiding it. So there you go. Now, with all these recommendations to avoid things, the question is like, how, how do I know when something is an issue? Uh, so here are some of the signs during a training session that maybe you might, you might need to be a bit more cautious with your exercise intensity or volume. So one of those would be excessive fatigue or feeling very out of breath. So if you're feeling far more fatigued than you normally are, you're far more short of breath than you normally would be, then I would recommend that you modify your exercise intensity accordingly. And I would also review positions that you're being exposed to then. So you might be doing, um, again, you might be doing exercises lying on your back, or you might be even a, a low incline or whatever position you happen to be in in a machine. And it's just not working for you. So you can make changes based on that. Um, but also, you know, you might want to consider that as, as potentially something to speak to your doctor about. If you're consistently excessively, excessively fatigued within the session and beyond the session, you know, it might be the case that maybe you've got um, an anemia that's accumulating that needs to be addressed. Maybe your diet isn't adequate and that's manifest in reduced exercise capacity. That's one of the common symptoms of um, iron deficiency and iron deficiency anemia. Uh, the next thing would be the symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction that we discussed previously. So for example, if you're urinary incontinent, um, especially during an exercise session um, and beyond the exercise session, for sure, even if it's just mild or you feel like, you know, you've got a feeling of heaviness or dragging in your perineal region, which is down um, around your genital area. If you've got that kind of feeling of heaviness or a dragging sensation, then that might indicate pelvic floor dysfunction. And that would be an indicator to reduce exercise intensity, but also again, to speak to your doctor about this. Um, and, you know, do you need to make changes to what you're doing um, or does this affect your pregnancy? Um, then aches and pains are obviously something that might be of relevance here. So if you've got, you know, back pain that's worsening or you've got pelvic pain or you've got, you know, pain in your knees, maybe from the extra weight or something along those lines, if you're, if you've got these aches and pains, obviously you might need to modify your training. So for example, if your knees are at you, then you might be able to do the same weights that you were previously doing. You might need to, you know, swap out barbell squats for maybe a, a leg press where you can control the tempo and the range of motion a bit more uh, or something along those lines. So that's going to be specific to the types of problems that you're experiencing um, because there can be, you know, many different things that pop up. For example, it could be something like carpal tunnel syndrome, which you mightn't expect to be associated with pregnancy, but we said, you know, pregnancy is an edematous state. So you're generally going to re re retain more fluid. You might be, there might be a bit of body fat gain and that can increase your susceptibility to carpal tunnel syndrome, where you get tingling, numbness, and potentially weakness in the hand, in the distribution, of the median nerve. So in that case, you know, you might need to modify the exercise that you're doing with upper body. For example, you might need to use more straps. You might need to use less grip, etc. So aches and pains, you have to take that in a case by case basis. Now, in terms of aches and pains, 
If it's pelvic pain, it's a bit more of a concern. Okay. So if you've got pain in front of the back of your pelvis, it's aching, it's sharp, it's radiating somewhere. That again is a bit more of a concern because that's obviously where your uterus and reproductive organs are. And thus is the area that if you're, if you have symptoms there, we would want you to speak to your doctor for sure. Okay. Um, and then finally, if you've got doming or bulging at the linea alba, the linea alba is the line that runs down the front of your stomach. It's where women experience diastasis recti, which is the separation of the abdominal muscles. So if you've got bulging there, it men might experience that as well, Gary. Huh? So men experience that as well, Gary. Yeah. Steve Hall revives stronger. He's got that gap in his abs and who else is there? There's Jeff, Jeff, uh, oh. Alberts, isn't it? Does Steve Hall have it? He does, doesn't he? I think right. so. I think so. Um, so yeah, yeah. Some men too. Um, but this is a, uh, women's podcast today. Fuck men. Um, anyway, so doming or bulging at the linea alba could, could be signs of, uh, herniation there at the linea alba so again that might be something you need to be cautious about <clears throat> and again something to speak to your doctor about does this modify plans for pregnancy uh, or delivery etc now what are the 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 musculoskeletal injuries that, that pop up what are the things of concern i said aches and pains i mentioned carpal tunnel syndrome already i mentioned diastasis recti there where you get that kind of splitting of the abdominal muscles down the center but Pelvic girdle pain is also a, a common um, symptom that can pop up or a common uh, condition, I guess you could say. It's not always, you know, pathological in the sense that it's reflective of, you know, problems with your pregnancy, but it, it can be a problem both during and after pregnancy. Uh, low back pain is one that comes up very frequently. Um, obviously, this makes a lot of sense in that you're like from a mechanical perspective, at least you've got all this weight anteriorly and now you're you know, low back muscles need to do a lot of work to maintain your posture, uh, to maintain daily function. But also there's other, you know, what we might put into the psychosocial and somewhat biological um, variables where pregnancy is a very stressful period. You know, your sleep might be affected. You might have lots of, of stressors and worries. And we know that all this can also be a risk factor or can be risk factors for the development of low back pain. And then Obviously, the pelvic floor dysfunction we mentioned already, you've got urinary incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse, um, and then pelvic pain uh, more generally. So all of that can pop up during pregnancy as well. Now, as you move through the, th the trimesters, there's a couple of different, uh, you know, recommendations that are that are provided. OK, so in the first trimester, you shouldn't need to change too much. All right. We've said that already. There's not going to be much of an anatomical change. Most women won't, won't even notice much of a bump or anything during these, this time, you know, but you can experience nausea and vomiting. You can still get symptoms associated with pregnancy. So it's not a totally, you know, normal physiological state either. Um, so the recommendation goes that reducing load to 80 to 85% or less of your one rep max is kind of the generic recommendation generic recommendation and again that's going to manage the magnitude of the valsalva that you're going to be uh, outputting it is recommended to try to avoid the valsalva and a weight and using a weightlifting belt but uh, as we established already avoiding that valsalva might be entirely possible the use of lower intensities might facilitate that um, and then you might just want to try to not hold it for as long or not be as intense with it as able then similar recommendations for your cardiovascular exercise. So recommended not to push past an 8.5 or PE during cardio. Um, 
so my assumption there is that that is recommended 8.5 RPE out of 10. Sometimes an 8.5 RPE is, is used um, on a higher scale in relation to cardio, but 8.5 out of 10. So you're not pushing to maximum effort. You know, you can still absolutely do your cardio, but just not pushing to maximum effort. Um, and then not holding isometrics or bearing down for long periods of time. So, you know, an example of that might be something like, let's say you do, uh, deadlift and you're holding it, you're doing pause deadlifts where you're doing holding for five seconds with a, a maximum Valsalva or something like that. Um, there are exercises that do require you to do that. Another one will be something like, you know, a max effort farmer's walk. You know, you're going to be kind of isometric contracting your core and bearing down for prolonged periods of time. So uh, avoiding that is, is recommended in the, in the first trimester and beyond. Okay. Um, and then finally, I suppose, keeping a few reps in the tank at the end of your strength uh, training sets is a reasonable recommendation. That's obviously, again, modifying the intensity. It does depend on your level, you know, um, the level that you're at. You know, are you able to gauge RPE is now the time that we want to, you know, introduce something like trying to count reps in reserve or are we just introducing it away training? You know, so you have to use that, use some kind of coach's judgment there. If you're a coach, like, are you... Are you going to introduce all of these variables to a pregnant woman who's got a lot of other things going on? Or are we just going to, you know, work with them and say, look, yeah, stop, stop a few reps shy or just work until you feel fatigued. It might be a, a simple recommendation during this time. So that's most of the first trimester. Um, the second trimester is, is fairly, fairly similar, but a few, few additional considerations. So this is the point at which you're going to start to notice the bump a bit more and, more of the, I guess, uh, explicit anatomical changes of pregnancy will be start to become apparent. So you can in, start to include um, some exercises to potentially uh, address some of the pelvic or low back uh, issues. So for example, things like working on pelvic tilting. So in the, in the pregnancy, during pregnancy, what a lot of women will end up adopting is a very lordotic posture where they've, uh, you know, a very large curve in, the in their lower back because they've got all this weight anteriorly. So getting out of that for periods of time, working on pelvic tilting, posterior pelvic tilt, um, trying to get into that and out of that might be uh, of benefit. Things like hip circles, cat cow stretches. Again, these things can be useful as well. And then kneeling or standing hip flexor stretches uh, just to get you out of that kind of lordotic uh, position that might be of use, especially if you're feeling like, you know, you're very tight in those muscles, uh, especially, you know, if, if you're working in a job where you're required to stand all day and you're, you find yourself, your back starting to ache, the front of your hips are starting to ache, getting out of those positions uh, can be beneficial for, pre for periods of time. So it might be before you go to work or after you come home from work uh, that you start to, to use those drills, that they, those could be useful. Now, as you look to your more standard training, you know, the question is, how should we modify our training? So firstly, with barbell training, Olympic lifting might need to be um, might need to be modified, because if you think about the Olympic lifts, right, snatch, clean and jerk, even just a clean on its own, like one of the kind of core challenges of uh, those exercises is bringing the bar up and bringing it up close to the body and then getting in, in under it. As the bump becomes more established, that's obviously somewhat in the way of the bar. Additionally, depending on the length of your arms and the way that you perform the exercise, some people uh, make contact between the bar and their lower pelvic region. So obviously that's not something that you would 
uh, want during pregnancy. And then finally, there's the element of, I guess, the element of chaos that's associated with Olympic lifting. So if you're going hard on Olympic lifts and you, you know, fail a snatch overhead, that bar is falling, you're potentially falling, you might need to throw yourself back, you might need to throw yourself forward. There's just those additional uncontrolled elements that might make that a little bit less appropriate. Now, if you're an advanced Olympic lifter, you might be able to, you know, do light technique drills during this period of time, work on, you know, different things, like maybe you're just doing your push jerk, or maybe you're just pulling up uh, to the upper thighs. So there are ways that you can continue training, but it just might require some modifications. Hip thrusts, we mentioned already during this time, it's probably not going to be appropriate to be doing hip thrusts, okay? And deadlifts, potentially you might need to modify deadlifts. Like it, it would depend on symptoms experienced here, I guess. You know, if you've got established low back pain that's being aggravated further by deadlifts or you've got pelvic floor dysfunction or incontinence, uh, the deadlift is probably the one that's going to require one of the highest levels of intra-abdominal pressure um, or bearing down. So that might expose uh, some of those vulnerabilities. Um, so yeah, I, I would just, you know, consider that as an air, as an exercise that might require modification. Additionally, like if you've got a, a relatively large bump, especially as you move beyond the second and into the third trimester, like that can, like you've seen, you, you'll have seen strong men who squat and deadlift and have this like belly thigh contact <laughs> that assists them with their movements. And that can also happen in pregnancy. So if you've got this um, kind of prohibition of your normal range of motion because of the bump, then that might require you to pull from a rack pull, for example, or blocks rather than doing a full deadlift. Okay. So that might apply to other exercises as well. For example, leg presses, squats, etc. depending on your original technique, I guess. Um, and then exercises in the, the supine position. We mentioned that already, but lying flat in your back, that can inhibit um, the amount of blood flow that's being returned to the vena cava. And as a result, you're going to get a decreased cardiac output. So you get less blood flow returning, you've less to output back to the body. And then this is referred to as supine hypotensive syndrome of pregnancy. Okay. Now the guidelines do vary here. Um, so it depends on training age to some degree. Uh, some will be fine during bench press for short, short periods. You know, for example, it might be that you just work on uh, light singles or, you know, faster reps or something like that. Um, you know, Nicola has made some notes here and she said that less than uh, 15 seconds um, is, is appropriate here for lying in your back. It sh should be fine for some women, but that, you know, this does depend on the individual. So um, you might want to test it out for yourself, but I think like personally, if it was me, not that it will be, I would do an incline press of sorts, you know, work on your incline, maybe work on some uh, dumbbell incline, low incline even, and, and go from there. Okay. Uh, and then mod modifications, otherwise um, front loaded exercise. So you can think of this in kind of two ways. Firstly, you're not going to be able to do some front loaded exercises, like for example, a Zerker or Zercher. Is it Zerker? I say Zerker. Zercher. Okay, Zercher. Zercher squats or anything where you have to kind of load anteriorly there. So that might be a great idea. Things like barbell rolls, you might have a reduced uh, range of motion because of that barrier, obviously. Um, but so in some cases, something like a, a front squat might actually be, you know, a little bit better because you can, uh, and anterior, sorry, uh, you can, or a goblet squat, even goblet squat or front squat, you load the weight anteriorly. And that generally allows you to stay a little bit more upright. Um, and you'll be working less potentially of those 
low back muscles and to some degree maybe getting out of that lordotic position that you're in most of the time it might also be easier for you to maintain your normal range of motion um because the more forward lean you have like in a back squat especially a low bar back squat the more uh thigh belly contact you're going to have at an earlier point of the range of motion so uh, these are all the practical considerations and i think if you look at your own exercise routine you can look at all the different exercises that you do and you'll probably find additional barriers that we won't mention in this in this podcast because you know we can't cover every exercise but i think we've covered a lot of the the practical considerations now another thing that can come up is uh round ligament pain which is one of the ligaments uh there in the pelvis uh during the second trimester so in transitional movements um that can be a bit of an issue. So you want to modify programming, modify your stance, give more stability and support. So that just comes down to, again, some of the practical uh, programming considerations. So you might be moving from, you know, doing your explosive barbell lifts uh, to doing more controlled machine work where there's less stability or where there's more stability, you know, less uncertainty, less volatility in terms of the changes of direction and speed of movement, et cetera. Um, and just focus on training a little bit more like a controlled bodybuilder, let's say. Uh, there will be an increase in breast size, obviously, here as well. So, um, you know, building up your, your back strength might be useful here. Uh, we've mentioned the low back already that there's going to be, if you've got an increase in breast size and an increase in the weight within the abdomen, that all of that increases the forces required in the upper and lower back. So back strengthening would be of use. And then, of course, We've got the edema and fluid retention that we mentioned previously. So um, maintaining, uh, you know, activity as able is something that's going to be of benefit here. So, you know, just doing your, your basic, basic walking, or it might be things like calf pumps uh, or, you know, seated calf raises there at the desk. If you've got a lot of fluid building up in the, the lower limbs, that might be something that's of use. Um, but, you know, in some cases, if the edema is quite severe, you might need to, to speak to your doctor about the position of the baby or something along those lines. That that can happen, but it's it's probably not a concern um, or can be a concern, I should say. So preeclampsia, then, uh, that's something that we mentioned already. Uh, the high, If you've got um, blood pressure and it's getting quite high um, or any spike in blood pressure in pregnancy really is something that you want to, to address. And that would lead to modifications in your exercise programming, you know, depending on the extent of it, your doctor might encourage you to not exercise, but I would leave that in their hands. Um, and then leg cramps can sometimes be a problem in pregnancy too. So if you're training your lower body and you're already dealing with leg cramps, uh, that might require you to reduce your loading. Or if you don't exercise at all and you're getting leg cramps, it might be that, you know, gentle exercise actually leads to improvement in those symptoms. So again, that's, that's an individual consideration. So I'm obviously repeating myself a lot and that a lot of this just comes down to the individual, what they did previously and how their pregnancy is going. Uh, but as we move into the, the third trimester, this is obviously the period where we might want to back off to a greater extent. Okay. So modifying the session uh, frequency, the format of the sessions and the intensity. So you might need to train a little bit less, reduce the intensity. Um, you might need to, if, if mobility is getting a bit difficult at this point in time, in terms of getting around the gym, making sure uh, machines are closer to each other, those types of things uh, might be of more concern. Um, so other things would be like modifying exercises that we mentioned previously in relation to the um, growing size of the abdomen. So uh, 
again, supine, even a low incline potentially, um, and anything that requires you to press your abdomen against something, like that's just not going to be practical during this period of time. Um, if you're actually surprising, like how, how many exercises? Yeah, it's a lot in there. Like you think of even like a, oh, I'm going to train my hamstrings. And you're like, oh, I have a line hamstring curl. Nope. You're not going to be able to do that, <laughs> you know? So you're probably going to have to get really inventive with exercise selection. Um, if you're like, oh, I really want to train this muscle, you know, like there's certain muscles that are just going to be harder to train and you're just going to have, kind of have to accept that. Yeah, absolutely. And even things like, um, even things like pull downs, for example, sometimes the way that they lock in the thighs can be quite close to your abdomen. So if you've got a big bump, especially if you have twins, for example, it's going to be super difficult to get into a machine like that. So there might need to be changes that need to be made. Um, like I think if it was me, what I would do uh, or what I would recommend to someone else is like, you know, save up a little bit of cash if you can during the first two trimesters. And during that third trimester, if you want to keep your training going, hire a personal trainer for a few weeks to work with you in person, have them set up the machines, have them set up the weights, have them modify your exercises. I think that's an excellent idea during that period of time. Um, just because it makes your life so much easier and will let you, um, you know, keep training, but also expose you to ideas as to how you could train that you may not have thought of previously. So that's, that's a good idea. Um, on that note, like frequently changing bodily position, like maybe you're going from an incline to a, an upright exercise and then you're you know moving position again and and you're constantly changing your position in the gym that might be ideal so try to cluster your exercises so that you're mostly in the same position you can do as much as you can in the one spot and that's going to make your gym experience during the third trimester a lot easier um now obviously in this period of time as well don't be trying to hit you know it's it's not the time for new personal bests it's not the time for new ranges of motion and things like that okay now this can be a little bit difficult because as you enter the third trimester, there are a number of hormonal changes that somewhat give you additional laxity in your joints. Okay. So this is, uh, this permits, uh, for example, the pubic symphysis widening and the passage of the baby through, um, the vaginal outlet or the, the, the pelvic outlet. So this is, you know, of benefit but it's also something that, you know, you don't want to try to take advantage of as such by, you know, suddenly starting to go from half squat to a super deep squat that you've never done before. Uh, that's going to be modifying all the forces that you're exposed to uh, in the pelvis that you, you know, the, including your pelvic floor that you may not have been exposed to previously. So, you know, now just isn't the time for novelty or, or progression, I should say. It's not the time for new load. It's not the time for new range of motion. Focus on what you've been adapted to do already and pull back a bit. And then after your pregnancy, once you're fit and healthy again, you'll be good to, to push on with training. Okay. Um, and then finally, just on the cardiovascular training side, does that need to change to some degree? It, it should. Okay. So we mentioned previously that reducing the intensity away from maximum intensity is probably a good idea. Okay. Uh, so if you've got, if you're doing really high intensity work, um, one of the things that happens, especially if you're very well trained, like you can actually make yourself quite hypoxic. Like you can reduce your blood oxygen levels quite a bit. Um, you can have, you know, changes in pH, rapid increases in lactate, etc. All of these physiological changes associated with the, the stress of exercise. 
And to some degree, these, these changes are similar to like a hypotensive state where if you were in a hospital and you became hypotensive, they're trying to correct it rapidly, but you're in a, uh, you're in a healthy state when you're exercising, but we might want to be repeatedly exposed to that high exercise stress during pregnancy. So I'd be inclined to recommend more moderate intensity, especially as pregnancy progresses, um, where maybe you're maintaining, I wouldn't give a heart rate recommendation because heart rate is a little bit more uh, volatile during pregnancy, but just kind of that moderate intensity recommendation where you can, you can probably maintain a conversation to some degree during the exercise that you're doing. It's just steady state, casual exercise. And then along with that, ideally choosing options that are low impact would be of a good choice. So for example, sitting on a, a stationary bike, um, or doing, uh, you know, an elliptical cross trainer, rather than, you know, hitting the, the sprints or, or something like that. All right. So that's, that's what would be my recommendation, especially. You wouldn't prescribe like 30 minutes of skipping to a nine month pregnant woman. <laughs> yeah. 30 minutes of skipping trips and falls over the rope. No. <laughs> okay. So I was just going to say that that covers, um, the vast majority of what um, I think you need to be aware of during pregnancy and before pregnancy. Now, I think that like we were going to cover training after pregnancy during this podcast as well. What I would propose, and this is a live decision, um, is that we do a, a postpartum podcast as well, where we'll get Nicola on. And what we can discuss then are some of the pelvic floor concerns. We can discuss um, the discussions related to uh, subsequent pregnancies, C-section versus vaginal delivery. Um, and then we can also discuss like, when should you return to exercise? You know, when is it safe? What are the indications, et cetera? Because I think that's at least another probably half an hour, 45 minutes of discussion. Yeah, that's fair enough. And the only other thing I want to add to this overall discussion is that we haven't really touched on any of the numerous, countless really, barriers there are to exercise during pregnancy yes you know? like if you're in your first trimester you might be nauseous you might not even you just be like i just i don't want to exercise you know during your second trimester there, there could be anything going on third trimester obviously again you've got this huge bump potentially potentially quite big as you said like you could have twins triplets whatever okay. um so there's numerous barriers to exercise and the key with this stuff is to just be I don't know what the word would be to be kind to yourself in yeah. terms of, yeah, okay. We know that exercise is great. We know that exercise is beneficial, but it might not be on the cards for you as an individual. You might have to just take it a little bit easier. You might have a million and one barriers in your way to getting exercise done. Having said that you can still get a lot done with very little, you know, if you're like, Oh, I can't get to the gym. Like there are still stuff or there are still things that you can do at home for example you know and that might be something that you have to investigate so that you can again keep exercising throughout your pregnancy the real key here is to minimize whatever barriers you can to exercise you know that's going to allow you to actually consistently exercise and that's the case for everyone but especially during pregnancy because again you know yourself, there's going to be a million and one different barriers. Even if you make it to the gym, there might be a million and one barriers to actually even completing that workout. For example, you're, I don't know, whatever, eight and a half months pregnant and you're like, I want to keep exercising, blah, blah, blah. But you literally need to pee every 30 seconds. You know, it's like, that's a potential barrier 
to exercise because who's going to keep your machine for you while you in between every single set you rush off to the toilet you know like that kind of stuff can be quite difficult to overcome and like gary said like hiring a personal trainer like a a well-educated personal trainer can overcome some of these barriers but it doesn't solve everything so you again have to just be kind to yourself you have to realize that you are going through something that is uh, a very potentially stressful time but also a very demanding time right so don't put another demand another stressor on your body like going I have to fucking beat myself up now because I didn't get my four resistance training sessions in this week. You know, like it's unrealistic for you to expect perfection here. You know, it's just, it's just not going to happen. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, pregnancy is a, it's, it's a big task. You know, it's a, it's a very stressful period of time. Um, And there are an infinite number of, you know, barriers just beyond the physical that might make it difficult uh, to get to the gym, you know, the, the, your, your personal family circumstances, you know, in some cases, like if, if women have had previous, uh, miscarriages, like the early stages of pregnancy, and and to be honest, the entire pregnancy in some cases can be just pretty traumatic in some cases, because almost every day you're thinking, you know, could it be today? Could it be today? Am I going to miscarry again? And, and some women have multiple miscarriages and that can be absolutely heartbreaking. So um, there are additional barriers for sure. And I would complete, if a woman came to me, if I had a client and she said, you know, look, Gary, I appreciate exercises of benefit, but I've had multiple miscarriages. I just, I can't have myself in the gym. I can't have myself worrying about the muscle soreness after and, and constantly, you know, saying, is this, is this uh, a miscarriage? Why do I feel like this? Why do I feel like this? I would completely understand that, you know, because that's a very difficult thing to work through. And I suppose one of the things, again, that we mentioned in the nutrition podcast is that pregnancy is in the grand scheme of things, it's a very short period of time. So it like, it's not like we can say, oh, it's fine. We'll address this gradually over time. Like it's, it's just not that simple. Okay. So I, I would completely appreciate that some women might want to get to the gym, completely understandable. But uh, in those cases, you know, you can still look after yourself. You can still eat well. You can still get out for walks and still get in some some gentle exercise. And I think that's the important thing is that while we're making these recommendations, primarily for people who are already training, um, it doesn't mean that we're suggesting you go out to the and get a gym membership start and start training four days a week. Like that's not the intent. If you can get anywhere near the basic exercise guidelines, you're doing a fantastic job. You know, ideally before pregnancy um, and most most people will suggest not taking on too much new exercise during pregnancy that you maintain what you've done. So, you know, it's not the time to be chasing all your personal best. It's not the time to be taking on new activities. Be kind to yourself, as Pat, as Patty said. And uh, yeah, you can you can set those new goals then uh, after pregnancy. 100%. So, Gary, let's wrap this up. We'll uh, agree to your live decision there. We'll do the postpartum period in the next episode. Um, where can people find us? What's going on with the business, etc.? What's the story? Yeah, so I suppose first and foremost, guys, we uh, do run a coaching service, which you might be aware of. Um, we have many different coaches on the team. The team has been growing consistently over the past year or two, which is nice. And that means that we can constantly offer new coaching spaces to those of you who are interested. So 
If you happen to be interested, what you can do is look at the description box below or above, depending on the app, and click on the form to apply. So you can send in a coaching application and we will be in touch. Alternatively, you might want more information from the get-go. Okay, You can email coaching at triagemethod.com. Um, or else if you just fill in the form, to be honest, we'll get back to you with more info. So that, that's the best thing to do. Uh, we do put out a lot of free content as well. So at triage method on Instagram is probably the best place uh, to follow us. That's kind of like our central hub of most of our content for now, at least. Um, and then you can find all of our individual coaches there as well. Okay. So if you're, if you follow us, um, the triage page and our individual pages, you're going to have more content than than you could consume on nutrition training health generally things like women's health in this case pain and injury because we've developed a multidiscipline multidisciplinary team over time we put out content that you know might be beyond the scope for one of us but not beyond the scope for all of us which is um something that's that's quite nice so yeah give us a follow we appreciate it we also share a newsletter that puts out content that is exclusive to the email list. It doesn't go out to our social media. So if you'd like to subscribe to that and receive that information, you can, again, subscribe in the description box below. And I think that covers most of what we offer at the moment. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Leave a rating, leave a review, share the podcast if you enjoy it. We always appreciate it. I have nothing else to say. So enjoy yourself, guys.